You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. On 11.16 SEN, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's 2017 runout. Darcy Fogarty stands 55 metres out from oh. goal and he's undaunted. <laughs> and they come for him as he drives through the first goal of the season and the first goal of what is already a promising career. Not perfect at all for oh. Hooker. Oh, Merritt's been cleaned up. Body work by Douglas. Clear takes the move. Zach Merritt just getting up now, Zach Merritt. Gibbs got it again. Snaps and goals. Wow. That touch of class is evident for all to see. That's Adelaide, a bit slow to arrive, but here they are before us. Devin Smith lifted for the left foot, he's gone out! Nathan! used the left, and listen to those Bomber fans, they have got belief now. It's a low ball for Hooker! Oh, he completes the preparations and bang! Essendon are in front. You wouldn't have thought that possible just 10 minutes ago. Essendon storms to victory from 20 points down with a six-goal final term to light up their season of promise. We shouldn't have been 20 points down, in my opinion, at three-quarter time. Not through the way we were playing and the effort we were putting in, but we had coughed up way too many balls that uh, allowed Adelaide to take that lead. So we basically said we've just got to believe in ourselves and we can't play safe, we've just got to keep playing our way. We'd seen enough to say that uh, we could outscore them in the last quarter and a bit stronger at the contest in the last quarter, felt they'd probably got on top there and we saw a, a big uplift in that and that made a good difference. The adrenaline junkies show how lethal they can be. Essendon coach John Warsfold is our headline guest on Crunch Time. It was a disappointing last quarter, you know, so we came here prepared to play and win the game of footy and we you know we were 20 up at three quarter time and we expect to win that game we didn't you know got some reality about we bring in as you say three new players and a few few guys who didn't play a lot of footy for us last year but that said we were 20 points up at three quarter time you know so we clearly understand understood the roles they needed to play and we couldn't get it done so credit to Essendon for us we dust off we learn what we need to learn and we and we get ready to go again next week the Crows have another unfulfilled trip to Melbourne, so do they have to do anything different in 2018 to take the next step? I've spent half a day reassuring our players that it didn't happen because it's, it is a fabrication and, you know, it's been made up. Do you feel there's a queue of people waiting for you to fail? Always. We're out of seafood, everyone's saying what a great facility it was for us along the journey. That, I mean, that's rubbish. That's spin. Because it, it wasn't a world-class facility. I'm gutted with the decision, but I'll support the club in, in whatever they choose to do going forward. I don't really like the look of it, to be totally honest. Everyone wants to see, you know, contested footy and hard forward. It almost seems like an easy giveaway, and I don't think too many fans want to see that. The double fist from Jones was just the entry. Dustin Martin needed, and he 
The footy captivated while the issues bubbled up. Bucks, umps and the rules in the crunch, plus the head of AFLW joins us after a week of grand final controversy. It's a stacked first up edition of Crunch Time for Honda. The 2017 runout is now on. Visit honda.com.au slash offers. Yes, good morning everyone. Welcome, as you may have already heard, to a slightly new look crunch time in 2018 where there'll be a bit of the old and a bit of the new as well, but it'll still be your first and hopefully best look back on Friday Night Footy with the big guests and the best and biggest issues in the game. John Warsfold is, as Jared said, our headline guest. And Jared is part of the team in 2018. He's already made a huge impact at 11.16. SEN, uh, G, we were together last night at Etihad Stadium for a rather dull game for quite a bit of it. But, uh, boy, did she come alive in the last quarter. Yeah, when they go, they go, Essendon. And it showed us again how lethal they can be when momentum is with them. The third quarter gave that demonstration of can they defend to the standard of becoming a contender. 13 entries conceded seven goals, two, and they were almost out of the game. But then from that seven-minute mark of the fourth quarter, five, five to three behinds, and the crowd was right at their backs. And, Hutto, it's, this has long time been the benchmark show on a Saturday and the first taste of footy, and it's my honour to join you. Well, uh, our regulars uh, during the season will be former Bulldogs skipper and star Bob Murphy, who's with me in Adelaide today. Uh, we're both on duty at the Adelaide Oval. And Dermot Brereton, who, can you believe it, is going to miss the first week of crunch time for a cricket grand final. Yes, I can hello, believe that, hello. Dermot. Let me tell you, the weather has absolutely closed in in Melbourne and, and Dermot's chances of getting on a cricket pitch today are zero. Oh, okay. All right. Well, more on that in a moment. Uh, great to see you, Bob, and great to have you part of our show. Thanks, Hutto. Great to be here. Hello, Jared, and hello, hello, Nikki Dell over there. Um, great to be a part of the team. Um, can't wait to get our teeth stuck into two games of footy and, and so much more to come. Yeah, it's always a great time to be discussing uh, what's happened the night before Friday night is so big. It is a little different now, the dynamics, isn't it, with... Thursday night having taken place so often as well. Plenty to talk about. And as uh, Bob alluded to, Nick Del Santo is, uh, is with Jared in Melbourne. Uh, Del, uh, welcome to you. Your thoughts on the Bombers last night, first up. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you very much. And uh, lovely to be here in place of the great Dermot. And as Jared's touched <laughs> on, there will not be a ball bowled in any cricket field around Victoria at the moment. My He's the captain of the team oh, too, Dermot. Well, he, he might, they might be just tucked up in a bar somewhere because they're not getting it on the pitch. Um, I take on last it. night, I, I have to respect what the Bombers did. And it's been a pre-season of trying to work out where certain clubs are, what their mentality is, what you take out of their JLT. And I thought last night, in that last 30-odd minutes in the last quarter for the Bombers, showed a lot. The first three, and we're going to speak to Woosher about this later, the first three, not a lot. It was sort of a little bit of an arm wrestle, a bit of a feeling out process. But when they hit their straps, they are as electrifying as anybody else. And I just thought, full respect for them for the way that they hung in there for that first three quarters and then ultimately ran over the top of the Crows in the last. Round one, I guess, to everyone, is that, that first real glimpse we saw a bit in the JLT. And we'll talk about both teams this morning. But did it, Bob, to you, did it change any of your thoughts on the Bombers' prospects in 2018? Uh, I don't think it changed. I, th I think we've known that their their potential and their their top gear is is formidable. 
Uh, and the, uh, round one, like the, I think the, the phrase Dell used, you know, a couple of sides feeling each other out, a bit like the early rounds of a boxing match. But that, that last quarter, I mean, I watched the game on television and, and often when you watch it on television, it's, it's, it's difficult to say who, who's running harder. But I thought when the, when the, you know, the whips were cracking, as they say, the Crows 20 points up three quarter time, but the last quarter, it was visible from the, from the peephole of the, of the television camera that, that the bombers were, were were running Adelaide off their legs, and that that was the thing that kind of surprised me was the the gap they put on them in terms of how much ground they could cover. Plenty of storylines out of the match, and obviously the uh, the clash that we saw, which ended the night for Zach Merritt, is uh, is probably the most significant one, both in terms of his welfare and the future for him, but also in the MRP ramifications. But just before I get Jared's thoughts on that, first and foremost, what about the? How do we read the the absences of of? Uh, well, there were seven changes from the grand final for Adelaide. Obviously, they're not going to have Lever and they're not going to have Cameron. They did get Gibbs and a couple of other debutants last night. But uh, to you first, Bob, uh, how, how do you how do you juggle what wasn't there for Adelaide last night? Ah, uh, yeah, I, I obviously you know Tex Walker's Tex Walker's a big out, but I think if we're if we're going to talk inclusions and exclusions, they they were good enough to get twenty points up, and I I think for a side as experienced and with as much to play for as Adelaide does this year, having having been embarrassed on the on the biggest day last year, I would have thought a, a round one away game to be twenty points up at, at three quarter time at that point, I don't think. You know, Tex Walker being out and a few others being out would have, should have been, should have been such an issue. It was more the fact that they just stopped. That was the, I think that was the troubling thing. I think of the, we've had two games, Thursday night and last night. I think we've had only the one loser. I think, I think the Crows are the are the losers so far because right, okay. well, well, yeah, I, I, I think Carlton, well, I think Carlton could take could take plenty out of out of Thursday night. I think Adelaide would be bitterly disappointed. Yeah, okay. It was interesting, Jared and Dale, as we, as we looked last night at, at the Bombers lineup and, and it's been an ongoing debate about where Kyle Hooker should play and he, he came so good last night in the end that Danny Frawley somewhat controversially gave him the best on ground last night. Spud's record with votes is a little contentious. Bobby gave you, he gave you best on last year in a game where you thought you weren't in the top 10 players for the Bulldogs. Uh, that was that game against the Giants. But he, he, he was impressive and uh, we spoke to him uh, post-match. It, Jared, did you get the feeling that they've got the balance right, the Bombers? Because their defence looks, looked a, other than Hurley, looked a bit vulnerable, didn't it? Yeah, they do look thin down back, which I think when you come to assess them, you know what they can be up front. But, Dal, I thought that's Hooker as the magnetic forward while Stewart was taking marks. And, you know, what Danaher's kicked two goals, one, two out on the full and one out of bounds on the bounce. So he's managed six shots at goal. While Hooker, he was the he was the central figure. I thought in the play, he was the the staple in the four line, wasn't he? He doesn't lead up the ball and is not flamboyant like potentially some of those other two can be, Jared. But I see him as the bailout key. I think if you're a midfielder or a halfbacker for the Essendon Footy Club at the moment, you see flashes of movement in your eyesight. That's what attracts your attention on the footy field, particularly in those parts of the ground. But I think if you are in any doubt with the ball in your hand you roughly know where Hooker's going to be. He's that sort of bloke where you go, long down the line, Hooker's going to create a contest. Joey Danaher's a bit more flamboyant, can sit on somebody's head, can lead up at it. But I like the combination that they've currently got. I, I like the, the structure, and we're so hung up on the Richmond forward line, and we're all going to try and adapt to this one tall and five small. I like the way the Essen have gone about it. I think it also shows a sign of their mentality at the moment, boys, with... We're going to be aggressive. We're going to have hooker four. We're not going to play safe. We're not going to guard our own goal and have a really strong defender because I still think he's probably in their best 
three defenders anyway. Um, you put him next to Hurley, I think they've got a really solid defence. But they're going to say, no, no, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to back in those other parts of the ground with what we've currently got, and we're going to be ultra-aggressive and ask questions of the opposition by having Hooker Ford. And I, th- I don't know if he'll ever win a game for the Bombers off his own boot, but, geez, he's going to keep them in a lot. Are you with Bob that Adelaide were the losers out of it, not just dropping the four oh. points? Or, or was it or was it conditioning that they, oh, that they well, actually ran out I'd of I'd love to get Bob. Oh, that's all I've heard since the game finished last night and that last quarter played out was they ran out of legs, the preseason. Bob, I mean, you're recently out of the game, more recent than any of us. Are you a believer? Oh, You're playing the old man card. No, but what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is, and Bob has been through it, and we've all been through it at some stage, where you do a, a six month preseason, meaning that you haven't played finals, or you go the other way and you ultimately win a grand final as as Bob did, and therefore your preseason's shorter. I'm not a massive believer that by round one that your fitness is very different to the opposition anyway, even if they did have an extra month of training. I don't know where that sits with me, Bob. Yeah, now I, I would kind of steer the argument away from fitness and preseason and, and what we did and how many K's in the. Le- I think it, it was. I think it comes down to, to appetite more more so than I think. I think if we're sort of oh, you know the, the the other you know the bombers were fitter. I think I I, I think that's their intangibles that we we can't know that from outside and I don't think the, the two clubs themselves could know. It was more when the game was was challenged by the Bombers that the Crows didn't have another gear. And I would put that down to, you know, maybe appetite more than, more than K's in the legs. Let what me, about the fact me, that they had number, the number of players out, though, Bob? Well, I suppose, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a reasonable argument. You could have, you know, guys who are, who are more established and you had a, a bit more youth in your team and, and guys who maybe weren't, weren't conditioned enough, but I still think they had enough out there. They had enough to get them in themselves in that, in that winning position. Let me go a different tact with you, Bob. What about, we speak about a premiership hangover. What about a uh, grand final hangover and the, the fatigue and the amount of exertion that you put into one year and then ultimately come up short, how that affects you going forward? Because we only ever speak about it for the winner. What about well, Dale, the... you can talk it. You, well, you should be able to talk I, about that. I, Tell I, us. I can. It is exhausting, Hutto. There's no doubt in my mind. We were pushing for multiple years. So it wasn't just one or two lost grand finals, but ours was over a period of five or six years where we played multiple prelims. But Bob was in a similar situation, in my opinion, by we played the Western Bulldogs in those prelims in a couple of years. So you, you give it everything you've got. I just think it takes a toll at some stage. I'm not saying that Adelaide's at that stage at the moment, but it is hard to find that drive to continually push, particularly from this point of the year. Yeah, I think there's I think there's an emotional uh, toll that goes on to losing any final. I think you ask players about the... The regrets they have in in football, it's those, it's it's the non, you know, normal home and away. I'll move on to next week, but with the final, it does it, it does leave a, you know a few a few bruises, and I think the fact that their their grand final performance was so below what they'd produced for the whole year, I mean, it's only round one. Let's not get yeah. too carried away. But they, they, there was a bit of a flatness. That, that was my point. But there was a flatness to them in the last quarter last night. That if that if that became a pattern, I think those are the sort of what what Dell's asking now about what's the emotional toll of of last year? I think those are the questions that will come Adelaide's way if 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 it's a pattern that continues. We'll we'll find out a bit more, won't we, Thursday night? If, particularly if Taylor Walker and Tom Lynch, as you'd expect, will come back into the team. They host Richmond over here in Adelaide. It's going to be a big game for them all of a sudden. They wouldn't want to wouldn't want to be Norton too, would they? No, well, start the and, year? and like you say, Walker and Lynch in it does it does give them an opportunity to stretch an opposition defence because they were they were they were stretched last night. You know the, that that's the that's the other thing about having Stewart, uh, Danaher, and Hooker down there that that 
any one of those guys would take a, the number one defender. So just by nature of them all being down there, one of them gets the third banana, as it were. So that's where you know they kicked eight between them last night. But that's a that's a formidable. That's a formidable trio. Stewart had uh, 16 disposals, 7 marks, 10 score involvements with his three goals. And uh, he is going to be a handy addition if he can keep playing like that. John Warsfold's going to join us next. And no doubt we'll talk to him, and as we will to you guys, about the impact of the three big recruits for the Bombers, Stringer, Smith and Saad. Still a lot to talk about about last night. You can join us as well later on, uh, apart from John Warsfold. We'll touch base with Nicole Livingston ahead of the big AFL With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Grand final, but from what the boys are saying, it's not just big, it's going to be wet out there today for the big day between the Western Bulldogs and the Brisbane Lions. Stay with us. This is crunch time for Honda. The 2017 run out is now on. On 11.16 SEM, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's 2017 run out. Brings it to ground, gathers the footy, shoveled it off, Begley to goal, the bounce is Begley banks away at the heart. Essendon fans leap from their seats. They might win running away. And so it was. It was the first time in 17 years that Essendon had overcome a 20.3-quarter time deficit and posted victory. And the man at the helm is John Warsfold, the Dons coach. John, welcome to Crunch Time. Thanks very much. So this is a win that Essendon hadn't put together in a long time. What does it tell you about development and improvement? Well, yeah, it's part of the the growth and the plan of where we want to get to. uh, We're obviously... Like every other club, trying to uh, aim to win another premiership, and uh, we've put things in place over the last few years, and uh, you know it's coming together. We're, we're pretty happy with the way it's happening. So when you hit some of these milestones, um, yeah, they're nice to hear about. It wasn't one I was aware of, but um, yeah, you hear about the fact that uh, to come from 20 points down at three quarter time, get up and one hasn't happened a lot for us uh, in recent history. It's um, it's nice to achieve it. So is it the sort of marker that even 12 months ago you might not have been ready to win this sort of game? Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not really sure about that. It's, it's, again, it's not the sort of um, number you're looking at. But uh, you know, in our last JLT game, um, you know, I know that's a lot different, but we, we uh, really ran the game out strongly against Geelong. I think uh, it was similar. We came from maybe 25 points down to get up and win by four points. So uh, I'm sure that plays in the back of the players' minds at three-quarter time, that we ran our previous game out well. We can run it out well. Let's just uh, get out and put everything into it. So when could you tell? What could you see that was going right on the field that would allow for such a surging finish? Yeah, they're probably just little signs. I thought um, a couple of times Anthony McDonald from Woody got up the ground and, and really presented well for us and got got some good uh, split on his opponent, um, which he struggled to do early in the game. And so there was one passage of play, I think, where maybe he got the ball right up the ground. Uh, McGrath ran really hard to present for us and got the ball. Heppel then ran on 
from the back half to get the ball off McGrath. So just that little passage of play, three bits of real hard run where the opposition was struggling to run with us and uh, the guys got easy uncontested marks as we moved the ball down the ground um, was a really good sign. Um, that doesn't guarantee you're going to be able to kick the goals, but we had been threatening every you know, all night when we were going inside 50. So I uh, felt like our inside 50s were going to come and uh, and our ability to score has been good. John, good morning. I was going to ask you how you felt the whole game was played. Uh, in terms of where the scores came from, you got three goals from kick-ins. There was plenty of scores that were affected from turnovers in the back half from both teams. So did you get a feel for in the coaching box for what it was going to take to, to get the job done? Well, yeah, really always we felt it was um, you know, us probably making uh, less errors and getting the ball inside our forward half um, more regularly without the bad turnovers. Because that was certainly what hurt us in the first quarter. We just looked a little bit scrappy. Maybe, maybe the guy, the anxiety of round one. Sometimes guys are trying to go for harder kicks, and maybe they should, and and uh, rushing them. Um, so we really got hurt from that early in the game. But the bonus was that uh, for the times we did get it inside our forward line, we kicked goals. So uh, it meant that uh, we were right with Adelaide after what was probably an average quarter for our turnovers. Um, then we started to get it on our terms a bit, get it inside 50, and we didn't take our shots of goal well enough. Um, you know, we were spraying them a fair bit and missed an opportunity maybe to have a better lead at halftime. And it turned a bit in the third quarter where Adelaide won the, the contested ball, um, and that meant they got more use of it and uh, and uh, were dangerous going forward. But, and that was the thing we addressed at three-quarter time was, uh, you know, we, we needed to readdress how well we were doing around that contested ball um, and everything else was going to flow from that. Been a lot of discussion around what is the right forward line set up, and, and you've got one of the taller forward lines. Stuart really proved his worth again last night, which must have pleased you. I think he had a team-high 10 score involvements. Is, 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 was there any debate in, in, your, in your mind in, of the coaches in the off-season that that was the right structure to go to, at least to start the year with, with the three talls? Not really, no. Um, you know, all our indicators last year showed uh, in a season last year that we didn't know what it was going to deliver. Um, we didn't start with James Stewart in our uh, in our opening lineup in the first couple of games of the year um, because we weren't sure of how it was going to look and what he was going to bring. But um, you know, the 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 lineup with Hooker and Danaher we thought was uh, was always going to be a really dangerous one for the opposition. And James Stewart, through his uh, his work. In, uh, in the summer and then through last season really showed that he could add a lot to our team because he's, he runs well, he's quick uh, and he does uh, obviously present a real strong marking threat as well. So, um, yeah, we, we thought he earned his opportunity to show what he could do last year and he, he came in and helped us um, form a really potent attacking um, group and uh, we thought we could build on that this year. John, Bob Murphy here. Uh, well done on a, on a successful start to the season. I was wondering, can you give us a, an update on, on Zach Merritt and, and the issues he had last night after that heavy knock? Yeah, look, um, from my limited understanding, uh, he obviously got the hard knock. Uh, the doctors assessed him, um, ruled that he had some level of concussion and therefore uh, rested him for the remainder of the game. But uh, you know, when I saw him at the end of the game... Um, he looked great. He was uh, over the moon with the way the players went about it, and um, yeah, he looked really healthy and well. So that was that was a great sign. So um, 
Yeah, all things uh, in terms of how he pulled up immediately after the game looked okay. Well, he's a he's a hell of a competitor, Zach, isn't he? I mean, it, was, it sort of adds another layer to the win because he's he's such a good player for you. But he, he didn't look he didn't look too keen to come off. He, he pretty competitive sort of guy, John. Yeah, he's a driven young man. Um, you know, to uh, one to get the best out of himself, but really to help this team get to where it get, get where it can get to. He's been the vice captain for a couple of years now, so um, you sort of get a feel for at that young age how uh, how he conducts himself and leadership he likes to show so um yeah he was he's obviously pretty disappointed and uh but the way that the rest of the group um lifted their work rate i thought you know there's a couple of our young midfielders in langford and mcgrath uh and parish um really all played their role well last night knowing that uh, they they had to carry that little bit of extra load are you concerned about the repeat concussions for zach uh, we're certainly concerned about last night, but we're confident he'll get over that. But um, uh, medically, we've got to be really careful because uh, that's Zach's first concussion this season. Um, he's had a couple of incidents in the pre-season that weren't concussion incidents. Um, so, you know, that's where we've got to be careful. Our doctors are well and truly aware of uh, where Zach's at and, and what he's... Um, what he's faced throughout the year. But uh, in Wangaratta, he came off early against Richmond, but that wasn't diagnosed as concussion. So uh, really, he's, this was his first concussion, and, and we'll treat it as uh, we would treat any of them, and uh, we're confident he's going to be um, really well soon. Well, sure, Nick Del Sano here. Congratulations. You said post-game that, in your opinion, you didn't feel like you deserved to be 20 points down. How do you communicate that to the playing group at three-quarter time, to give him direction to find a way to to, um, to catch that gap. Yeah, there's obviously um, you know, not a lot of time you spend talking to the players at three quarter time. Our main message was that we felt Adelaide had really dominated around the contest in the third quarter, and we knew that that's been a focus of what we've been working on through our summer, and we were pretty disappointed that uh, we let them get on top in that area because we felt we were really matching them um, through the first half. Uh, so we can do it, and uh, it was really knuckling down and getting back to that but uh, the other the other key message was to keep playing the way we want to play um, move the ball forward quickly uh, give our forwards uh, as many opportunities as we can and um, let's just see what unfolds I want to ask you also about Brendan Goddard I thought he was super last night he's played so much football and I thought last night was one of his better rounded games he did a little bit of everything and obviously kicks a really good goal as well his impact on it's still a young group with high expectations, the way that he's able to manage this group, probably more during the pre-season? Yeah, he's uh, really plays a, a strong leadership role on, on and off the, um, the playing surface. Um, you know, last night he was outstanding in playing his role, but uh, especially late in the game when um, you know you get that, that slight lead and it's, uh, the, the clock's ticking down, his, his leadership in um, instructing the guys out there was outstanding. Um, but he sets huge standards. You know, he's a driven guy. He's, uh, he's achieved a lot in footy, and um, but you can still see how much it means to him to prepare at the absolute elite level. And um, players look up to that. They uh, they learn a lot from that. Um, they learn how much you know he values every kick on the training track, every uh, everything he does. Um, he's going towards making him the best player he can be, and it's very handy to have someone like that uh, running around with these young boys. John, how did you how did you view the, the the new faces that you had in the in the in the red sash in in Saad Stringer and, and Devin Smith? How did you see their performances? 
Yeah, really pleased. Um, obviously, uh, they um, well, Gavin Smith's sort of an immature midfielder as such. He hasn't had many opportunities to play through the midfield. Most of his games at GWS were uh, were mainly forward, so he's learning the caper through the midfield and obviously getting to know um, and get that chemistry with the boys through there. But uh, you know, his attitude is the pressure he puts on and the the speed that he attacks every contest is uh, is really elite. And uh, you know, we love we love seeing that, and uh, we saw it again. Um, his closing speed and his desire to impact the contest that uh, that maybe he's not necessarily looking like he's going to win it, but he wants to make it as hard as possible for the opposition. Um, yeah, I thought Stringer played a pretty well-rounded game for us um, through the midfield. He, he impacted when he was through there. Always looked threatening when he was up forward and working with, with those other guys. So, um, yeah, Jake really pleased. Once uh, once he got him in the ground, he was uh, ready to go. <laughs> and, um, yeah, Adam... So what, ha- what happened there, John? I, I honestly don't know. No, I only uh, heard... As the boys were about, to, as the game was about to start, I think it was Hamish McLaughlin um, broke the news to me. I hadn't even realised, you know. So it certainly wasn't an issue. Uh, it wasn't an issue for me. It might have been for Jake at the time, but um, from what I understand, he just didn't have his player pass to uh, to access through the gate, and either had to do some swift talking or um, jump a fence. I'm not sure. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Adam, I've um, never forgotten my past. That's very irresponsible <laughs> of him. <laughs> yeah, we, we may have all uh, experienced that at some point. Um, I think Susan Alberti did, didn't she? Yes. Uh, <laughs> she might have. Recently. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Adam Sard really pleased again. Um, you know, he matched up on bets for different parts of the night and um, we saw some of his trademark speed and, and rebounds. So that was great. Just on... Um, just on one more on Jake. Have, how have you decided to treat him? Did you take counsel from anyone who's worked with him before or anyone you knew who had some contact with him? Uh, and obviously you did your due diligence as part of the recruiting process. Or, or have you just sort of treated him like any other player coming into the club? Well, we, it, it's sort of a bit of both. You, you treat him like every player coming into the club. And with every player, you want to know as much about them as you can to, uh, to help them get the best out of themselves. So we wanted to know... You know, what Jake wanted out of his footy career, what he thought he could offer us, but what we could help him, um, or what we could do for him to help him achieve his, his goals in uh, football and life. So, um, sit down and get, work out exactly, uh, what the partnership's going to look like. So, um, we certainly did that. And, um, you know, we had a couple of guys, uh, Hayden Skipworth had, uh, coached Jake in the VFL previously. Um, so he'd had a little bit of a relationship with him before um so we certainly um were leveraging that and um other than that it's really just now like with all the players um we all work with them weekly to make sure that they're still on track with what they want to achieve and they're clear about what they've got to do and what have you found that makes him tick well he's uh he's a natural footballer you know he he does understand the game really well he's um he shares his uh, understanding with us when we have team meetings, we talk about the way the game could look. Um, he's always got his opinion, which which I've been really impressed with. That he's been confident enough to share it um, pretty much from the moment he walked in the door. Um, so yeah, he uh, he's keen. He's um, you know I think he's learned a lot of lessons in his in his early career. One through hardship of injuries that were holding him back early, and then some of the challenges he's had over the last couple of years. 
Uh, and you know the key is to use all that to uh, to round him out as a as a really good person. John, how did you read the protected zone interpretation on Thursday night? And did you have a few moments on Friday where you thought you were going to need to sit down as a group and address this before the the memo came? Uh, not really. It was it, you're certainly aware of it. You think, well, it's just again um, alerting the players to be aware of it. Um, we, we talked about it in the preseason, and we did. Uh, get umpires to umpire pretty hard in some of our training. Um, so the players were aware of it. I think we might have caught one against Hurley last night, but um, it's uh, it's it's not a massive um, part of the game. You don't want the players going out and spending too much time thinking about that when they've got uh, you know too many other things to, to be um, concentrating on. So you just hope their instinct kicks in at the right time, and if, uh, if you get the odd one against you, then you've just got to wear it. Is it awkward for the players to deal with do you think is it unnatural what, what's been asked of them um i don't think it's unnatural uh it's just that awareness that uh um, what what angle are you running at when you when you're trying to get behind the play and uh, the opposition to have a free kick um i think the players will very quickly adapt to just heading wider before they uh decide to you know head straight down the ground they've got to make sure they're out of that space and um, the players, players we've seen over the years at this level, they, they learn and adapt really quickly. And John, is your contract now extension now a formality? Are you just about ready to sign or is there a, a hold-up? No, pretty much ready to go. Um, you know, I was uh, hopeful to, to wind it up um, during the week, but um, we got, being a Friday night game, um, we decided to just wait till next week till we, uh, we sit down and, and uh, do all the formalities. How many years are you going to lock in for? Um, most likely uh, an extra two years on top of uh, what I've got. So um, that's where it'll probably end up, I would guess. And Xavier Campbell mentioned a few weeks back uh, here that your family has moved back to Perth, so there's a logistical challenge for you in managing time and managing footy and managing family. How have you gone about that balance? Uh, yeah, we we, um, we put a lot of things in place uh, late last year. So obviously once the fixtures came out, we mapped out our year, um, worked out what it was going to look like. So um, yeah, so far that's that's tracking really well. But they were all over here for the game last night, which um, I'm pretty pretty excited about, obviously. Um, and yeah, I'm in Perth next week for our game. So um, basically it was just uh, our our planning and our understanding of uh, why why this was going to be the way it is and how it was going to work for us. And um, it's been great. John, congratulations again last night and on the new contract. Uh, just hold on for another couple of weeks, maybe get another year or two. Uh, <laughs> but uh, well done and thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks very much. John Walsfold joining us now. Just before we get down to more important matters, I've just had a very important message come through. Oh, boy. I can't see the other end of the pitch. And that comes from Dermot Brewer, our regular Crunch Time <laughs> member, who is missed today's show. Into his third game of Euchre, they would be. I, I would have thought so. I would have thought so. Before we break, uh, the MRP from last night. Jared. I think amongst the four of us, you're probably the greatest expert on uh, MRP matters. How did you read it? So this swings simply on whether there's any high contacts from Douglas to merit and that's what Michael Christian will be looking at at the moment is the way this should work is any moment we should get notification of what's happening I spoke to a couple of people at Essendon today who are of the view that the concussion was caused by the whiplash not by impact to the head so if that's what the slow-mo and the freeze frame show Michael Christian 
Douglas would be in the clear. He does run past the ball and execute the bump. So even the even a touch high would result in a suspension because of the Didn't choice that, that he just, made. Yeah, looking at it, Jared, I, I paused it last night when I got home. Bob, you probably had a look at it. I couldn't. Could anyone see any contact to the head? Direct contact to the head? I, I, no. I, I, I well, that's not the that's not the sense that I get. Though, no. that it was there was whiplash, but the, the the contact was you know it was a perfect perfect bump really. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I, I really hope he gets. I think I think whenever you watch these sort of things and you go into slow motion and you're still not quite sure of my heart then goes to the player who's on report thinking wow if, if we're in super slow-mo here and we can't make yep. a call good luck being you know being a player when when you're put in that situation but if you do elect the action that he did is you are totally at the mercy of the court if you make any high contact whatsoever and cause a concussion it's not even a debate anymore i think that's I mean, outside of Trent Cotchin in the preliminary final, I think we've sort of come to accept that. The interesting part would be if he did get charged and he went to the tribunal and they spoke about a player who does concuss, I won't say easily, but repeatedly, I think yeah. that would be a fascinating element to that. But, but as I say, there are those at Essendon this morning who are who do believe that it was the whiplash effect rather than the head-high contact that caused the concussion. Is, all right. is Richie Douglas yep. at all? Sorry, I was just going to just a question, and I, I honestly don't know the answer. Is Richie Douglas at all accountable for the result of his bump being the whiplash? Does that make That's sense? A great, I, yeah. I, I don't yeah. believe so. So, so. There's, so there's no, so, the, so there's no contact it to the head. Can't but then, be. You but can't then the whiplash. But there has been in the past where the sh- shoulder to shoulder, and then the head. But that's head some usually, down Yeah, to, but if the head then hits him, then you're responsible. But if you hit somebody purely in the shoulder, it, they can't. There can't be a, I agree, a penalty Hutto. for that. I agree. Yeah, I'm with, Can they? I'm Jared? With you, no. I'm not 100% sure about this. No, because in that moment, the bump is legal. So what happens next yep. is that it's where the bump is illegal. So if it makes any high contact, the bump is an illegal bump. It's high contact. It's rough conduct. All right. We will take a break. No late changes for the AFLW Grand Final. We haven't heard the final lineups for Doom's cricket team, but we think they're holding off on the toss. Coverage from 12.30. We're going to speak to Nicole Livingston before then as part of Crunch Time. We're going to move off last night after the break and move on to some of the other big issues. Nathan Buckley, the protected area. I also want to ask the players that have missed out this weekend, what does it mean for each of their teams? What does this tell us about their teams? Some big names have missed out in the first round of footy. And we'll hopefully preview some of the other games that are coming out. There's some fascinating games still to come. And you'll hear them all on 11.16 SEN. This is crunch time for Honda. The 2017 run out is now on. On 11.16 SEN, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's 2017 run out. Do you feel there's a queue of people waiting for you to fail? Always, always, and that and that really is. Um, it's an external story, and and it, the the external story about Collingwood is is really has been really consistent. Um, I was just reading the, the Herald Sun this morning, just looking at the the briefs on all the teams, and the challenge is about the coach. You know, there's, you read all the other challenges, there's nothing about the coach. Um, our challenge isn't my challenge, it's it's um, it's something that we share together and our challenge is to play our brand of football more consistently. 
Nathan Buckley, the Collingwood coach, every Wednesday on 1116 SEN. And he does lead off the crunch, the issues in footy from the week as we have counted down our now begun season 2018. Nick Del Santo and Bob Murphy to take the best from Anthony Hudson and myself. For you, Bob, is Nathan Buckley a, a particular and unique case? Uh, oh, most certainly he is. And having just stepped out of the game and having observed the landscape for a long time, but now now being in the media, and, and I listened to that interview um, with intrigue and, and the fact that the question was a beautifully phrased question by yourself and, and Nathan didn't hesitate to answer straight away that it was absolutely... And, and even Nick Revolt on AFL 360, he, he, he was talking about Nathan and about the fact that he's got the two-year contract and that and that maybe now we'll, we'll have a chance to give, you know, in his own words, some clear air to to sort of, you know, get that team and see what he can do with it. And I just instinctively, as he said it, thought that's not going to happen. Though. No, he's not going to Tough start air. to the year too, haven't they? Nathan Buckley and, and Collingwood don't get clear air. So, And I just am intrigued by that and, and, and curious as to why that is necessarily and how how old that is and, and why people sort of queue up to give him less less of a chance than, than most others. I'm Ger- kind of keen to hear your thoughts. Yeah, Jared, do you think it's partly Collingwood, partly Eddie partly Nathan, that, that, that he has that pressure, or more of one of those three? Uh, it, no, it's, I reckon it is a combination. But Buckley is a fascinating figure for many years in the game from where he was as a player and people's attitudes towards him. And they got desperately close with him as captain but didn't ultimately win it. I also think there's, there is the queue of people who have almost wedded their reputations to him failing from here. So if he is able to turn it around and either improve the graph or take them all the way, is those who have taken the set that this isn't going to work, Nick, are going to end up on the wrong side of it. Yeah, I'm with Bob, to be honest with you, a little bit. And the the personality type, the size of that football club, the love-hate relationship that everybody has with Collingwood or against Collingwood is, is intriguing. And similar to Bob, I heard that um, conversation... I really respected Bucks' answers, I must say. I I thought he was so focused on what they can control, and that is simply preparing and hopefully winning football games. But we keep an eye on it because on pure facts, Bucks' numbers aren't great over a long period of time now. So I think that has added extra pressure and extra focus on him, which, Bob, I think is the rightly so part. And then you sprinkle in the personality and this fascination with him as an individual in that football club so it still goes back Dale doesn't it to how it all happened in the first place with Malthouse that as Jared said people pick sides to a degree and that that still has worked its way through all the way why have we picked sides outside that football club though Hutto that's the intriguing part uh, from a media point of view or just the general public everybody has a view on even last year whether Bucks should be there or shouldn't be there even though it doesn't affect them directly or their footy club well, I mean, it's true of every club and every coach to some degree. It's just like everything at Collingwood magnified. And I think that is a real frustration of Nathan. And I think I feel like it, he didn't say exactly this, but I, I read into and from what else I've been told to what he was saying with Jared is that it feels like he's been given the two years and he's clearly doesn't want Collingwood to always be the biggest and brassiest and best. And I think he's, I think he, he is getting that way. I, I don't think Collingwood are going to be quite the same way presented as they have for the, for the past couple of years. So we'll see how that goes. I you also think the, it's quite you... rare that 
he's at the start of a two-year contract and yet there's this assumption that he won't get out of the first year of it. I can't think of another circumstance in which a club re-signed their coach, they reaffirmed everything, but there is a broadly held view that he'll still get the bullet at the end of this year if they're not well, Damien, Damien Hardwick, it wasn't that different, I didn't think, when his contract extension took place. I reckon there was people that didn't think he'd make it through. Well, that, that, that first was, year. yeah, well, that was yeah, that was there was a bit of feeling around that, wasn't there? And you, I mean, you've mentioned that so Collingwood have got a a reasonably a reasonably tough start. So you, I have, <laughs> yeah. That that cue that that Jared alluded to, you know, they'd, they'd be they'd be well across um, Collingwood's Collingwood's potential start to the year, wouldn't they? Yeah, indeed. I, I wanted to ask, I don't know which order we're jumping in here, Jared, but out of turn, the weekend ahead, a fantastic weekend of footy. The teams that have the players that haven't been picked, I think, really interesting. I'll ask you first. Luke Dunstan at St Kilda not picked. Is that, What does that tell you? Is it, and Young Caulfield didn't get a run first up either. Does that tell you they've got more depth than we thought? Or is it a slide on Luke Dunstan? Uh, it's a combination of, of both, Hutto. In the St Kilda example with Luke Dunstan, my opinion is some of those midfielders have to miss out. I think they've got a lot of inside ball-winning midfielders, and it is great to have... Um, a playing group or a midfield that can win their own footy, but you do need some balance with some more outside midfielders, some that can go back and forward. So am I surprised? Probably not, Hutto. It was just a matter of which one of that maybe group of seven that was to miss out and happens to be Dunstan. I was a little bit surprised in the Caulfield one. I would have thought, I know Hunter Clark's playing today. I would have thought Nick Caulfield would have got his first game as well. But once again, Hutto, it's round one, plenty of young time and a plenty of time for this young player and don't need to put any extra pressure. But Bob, on the back of that, we always hear about the the competition for spots and how healthy it is. What happens if you're one of the bottom four teams? Is your competition's your level's just a little bit lower, but it's still really hard to get a game? It's it is it's one of those um, one of those tough ones for 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 lots of for lots of teams who are who are down in that spot. And I mean, round one. Is it is it overrated? Is it overemphasised? Well, it, it's only worth four points, but it is it's it's potentially it's it's your side at their absolute best, freshest. So I think players do take it pretty hard if they if they miss out early. I mean, I've looked at the Bulldogs and 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 Hutto, you you alerted me to the fact that that Caleb Daniel was left out of of the side. Now that that's that surprised me. I, I would have he'd be one of the first picked if I was in charge. But then. When I think about it a bit more in depth, I think that scenario at the Bulldogs is probably is probably less magnified because Luke Beveridge probably he he throws it around more than on the spectrum of coaches and, and how many players they play and changes. Do players you know, cope with that? Now that you're out of the game, you can tell us. Do they cope with that well? I, well, I think some would cope with it better than others. I, I couldn't speak on behalf of on behalf of all of them. I'm sure anyone don't, anyone who misses out who's will be shattered. You know, they're, they're proud and. And everyone thinks they're, or most of the guys think they're rightfully in the 22. I couldn't tell you how how those boys feel today, having missed out. But I, I mean, I was surprised to see to see Caleb miss out. You, you told me uh, I mentioned that Tim English is playing. Um, just tell me, tell us what you told me before about off air about Tim English. Well, he he does some things at training. Tim, he's, I mean, yeah, what was it? The two meter Peter, we two and a half meter Tim. We tried to get that nickname <laughs> up and go, didn't quite. <laughs> no, but he but he's he's really lean upper body. Um, but he's got he's got big strong legs, and when when he jumps at the ball, he's good below his below his knees for for a tall guy. But when he jumps at the ball in a pack situation, he doesn't look lean. He he jumps through packs, 
and he 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 actually marks the ball like like a like a future star. Who did you compare him to? To me, when he when he jumps through, he looks like Simon Madden. Now, I didn't play that many games against Simon. No. <laughs> Let's just That's a fair saying. rap, though. He's one of the greatest ruckmen of all time. He, he, I think, Tim, he's got the potential to be a, to be a great ruckman for the Bulldogs. And Brayshaw and Tyson, obviously, uh, uh, maybe a reflection of Melbourne's depth. So uh, that's a fascinating game on Sunday, Jarrett. Next question from you. The protected zone roared into the consciousness on Thursday night. There's always something at the start. This was Alex Rance with us in the aftermath of quite the night. I talked to one of the umpires about, especially the Kochi one, you've got to be seen to making, make an effort to deviate. So obviously Koch didn't make enough of an effort to deviate and so the, the 50 metres was there. So that's something we'll just train going forward and um, yeah, move on. I, I don't really like the look of it, to be totally honest. That, like, it almost seems like an easy giveaway and I don't think too many fans want to see that, but I'm not telling, uh, not telling Gil how to run the, the whole organisation, but I think it'll, it might release after the first couple of rounds. So does the notion of the protected area even implement correctly, Dal, serve the game well? Oh, geez, we're, we're digging deep already, Jared. Um, I didn't like the look of it on Thursday night, I must admit. I'm a believer, and I know this is where the discretion of the umpire comes in, and then we'll have a uh, disagreement about that, but if it does not impact the game or that passage of play, I don't understand why it matters. There was the example of the Josh Caddy one, and that he was running out to get a hot dog out at the half-forward flank. He had no involvement, no need or no want to go near that contest or the, the ball carrier, yet it's 50 metres. Um, we, we are we are getting into the ultimate grey area, aren't we, when we say, oh, you know, let's can the umpires just use some common sense? Cause that, do you want to take that away from them, Bob? Yeah, well, I just, no, I don't because I, I think I think all of us can watch watch those situations and know when a player's impeding the play or if he's deliberately in there crowding the situation i think the one the ones who are stationary on the side get rid of that like outlaw those guys really hard to stop players from playing on yeah but the guys who are running through unless that player is really close and the and the and the guy with the ball wants to play on i I think i think we can tell by the naked eye which ones are the ones that are just incidental and which ones are impeding the play the stakes are so high aren't they because their yeah. goals, their goals for absolutely innocuous moments. The injury update for Arnold, Thomas and Becker from last night's game. Zach Merritt has concussion. You've heard John Worsfold speak about that. Kirtley Hampton, a hamstring, and Sam Gibson, he was uh, with the hamstring tightness. He was replaced in the side by Hugh Greenwood. Thanks to Arnold, Thomas and Becker, over 50 years experience in personal injury law. Uh, they're just rolling beautifully off the tongue, Jared. <laughs> All right, uh, before we go any further, plenty more to discuss. As we said, Nicole Livingston is going to join us after 12 o'clock as we count down to a very damp AFLW. Let's get the latest from Unibet and say good morning to Russell Barwick. Good on you, Hutto. Yeah, today all the money is about the favourites, the Saints, the Power, and then, of course, later tonight, the Hawks over the Magpies. But I'll go through each and every one of the games. St Kilda, thirty. the Lions, $3.65 and getting 24 and a half start. The power, $1.23, and plenty of money to say that the power might be a strong contender this year. The Dockers, $4.25, 28 and a half start to the Dockers as well. While the Suns and the Kangaroos, as you'd expect, not a lot of interest in this game. $2 the Roos, and the Suns, $1.82. Of course, that one being played away from home because of the Commonwealth Games, and the Kangaroos getting two and a half start. And then the game tonight, the Hawks, $1.82, been real solid most of the week. And the Magpies, $2.02. Both of these teams under enormous pressure after last year, of course. Magpies getting two and a half start. Now, the Unibest specials, we kicked it off with a win on uh, Friday, no, sorry, Thursday night with Dusty Martin and the Tigers getting the job done. 
I've had to hone in on one tonight, and it's Tommy Mitchell, one of the ball magnets of the competition. Now, he averages around about 35 or more in nine of his past 11 games, and the Hawks have won 10 of the last 11 against the Pies. So we've combined Mitchell to have 35 or more disposals, and the Hawks winning. That's a $4 Unibest special. As always, gamble responsibly, but more importantly, enjoy the footy. Thanks, Russ. Unibet there. Buy punters, four punters. As he said, gamble responsibly. The game over here in Adelaide, Bob, just quickly before we break. Who are you tipping today out of Port and Freo? Well, I think I'm tipping Port Adelaide, but, but it, and I think most people would have just had it straight down in the book. But I, for the first time in a long time, we see Freo with, with their big names out there with Sandilands and Fife and those guys. Stay with us. Crunch time for Honda. The 2017 run out now on. 16 SEM, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's 2017 runout. Wherever you are around the country, welcome to crunch time after the first two games of the 2018 season. Jared Waitley and Anthony Hudson with Nick Del Santo and Bob Murphy working back through the events of last night and throwing forward to the issues that shaped the weekend and the season in total. Out of last night's Nick Del Santo, we've spoken about Essendon's attack. We understand exactly what that is. But is Essendon's defence adequate to make them a contender? I think they can contend, yes, Jared. I look at Hurley, Mitch Brown, Michael Harley. If they continue to be serviceable as they are, Hurley's the the X factor. He's the one that can go tall and small. I think he's a fantastic decision maker. I think they have enough stability down there, particularly with those three that they can put the smaller players around them to be able to be steady against the best four lines. The recent record of the beaten grand finalist is troubling. 2013, Fremantle disappeared. 14, Sydney then went straight sets. 15, West Coast disappeared. 16, Sydney made that horrible start. Bob, are you keeping a watching brief on Adelaide? I am keeping a a watch on Adelaide. I think that's a fascinating, fascinating line that, of question you've just asked there, Jared, because so much, so much of the the headlines we see is about the the premiership hangover and that the Bulldogs endured that last year. Uh, the Tigers were looking down the barrel of some headlines at the ten minute mark of the first quarter on Thursday night. But I think I think you know more you know it's backed up more by by what you're saying about the the grand final runner up. It's got a Grand finals take it out of you, but I think the emotional toll of losing grand finals um, must be, you know, is severe and, and is and is told in the tale of the, the latter in the next year. And the John Warsfold contract, which has been spoken about for months, he told us it is a formality. No, pretty much ready to go. Um, you know, I was uh, hopeful to, to wind it up um, during the week, but we got, being a Friday night game, we decided to just wait till next week till we, uh, we sit down and, and uh, do all the formalities. Most likely uh, an extra two years on top of uh, what I've got. So two more years for John Warsfold to add to the end of this season. So that is as good as done. This is The Crunch. Hello, what have you got? Well, I've actually still got one from last night, uh, Jared, to ask Bob and Dell. Gary Lyon in our coverage on AFL Nation said, Matt, and we you do get carried away in a game. We know that. And then we did stir Gary a little bit after that, but he was sticking to his guns. Wait. He said Matt Crouch... Is now that in the top five midfielders in the competition, Matt Crouch. This is a man who I don't think has ever been tagged because Rory Sloan's usually playing. Uh, is he 
On the money, Gary, has he become that good a player? Well, I think he's on the money in terms of regarding Matt Crouch as one of one of the elite midfielders of the game. But if the the the, the problem with lists, and I know a lot about lists, I'm a bit of a <laughs> and list, top five, I'm a bit of a list enthusiast, Hutto. Someone has to make way. Someone has to go out. So I mean, you can you can rattle well, off. The well, flight. Dusty, Jared, where did we get to last? Well, night? Who are the ones we all agree on? So Dusty, yes, Dangerfield, Paddy, Paddy yes, uh, Fife, Josh Kennedy, Fife. Do we all agree with that? Yep. So then it's the fifth spot. Is he better than Sloan? Is he better than Bonty? I would. I'd take Bont still. Yeah. So Gary's list but, was Dusty, Danger, Bont, Matt Crouch, Kennedy. They were yep. the five that he settled on. And he was trying to say on form, so he tried to discount five, which I thought was being a bit too cute. And there's only been two games played. Yeah, that's, that's, a, right. that's very tactical. That's a beautiful. We, we call that a list trick. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I right. rate him very highly, Hutto. I think the bit I love about Matt Crouch is he doesn't waste many possessions. Yes, he accumulates, gets a heap of it, as a lot of players do in the modern um, form of the game. He doesn't waste it. He's very neat with his disposals, particularly by foot. So I really rate him. Is he in the top five? Maybe not. I reckon he's in that next bracket of really good midfielders. He's not a big meters gain player. I know that's there's you know stats and everything, but he you know he handballs a lot. But as you said, he's careful with his disposals, so it's not like he he, he butchers it too much. So anyway, we'll keep a watch on Matt Crouch. <laughs> Today we're going to see the unveiling of the three big recruits for Port Adelaide. Bob, um, who's who's the most important out of those three? Do you think uh, the most important? That's a good question. I mean, of the three with with Watts, Motlop, and Rockliffe, I I would think that Rockliffe's probably the safest bet. Um, Motlop and Watts being the more um, speculative. I, I have a sense, and I mean, it's a big call coming. He just kicked six goals in the JLT, Jack Watts. But I, I've been quite bullish about about Jack for quite a while. And part of that, and I put my hand up straight away, is that he often played well against the Bulldogs, and he often played well playing on Dale Morris. He'd kick, he'd kick a few goals, and no, no one kicks goals on Dale Morris regularly. And I always had in the back of my mind that he, he he does he does have it in him to be that that sort of third tall forward that can sort of get up the ground and, and get them on the way back. So I, I'm watching it with intrigue because that's a that's a lot of high end talent to to put to put into your team. And whilst on paper it looks it looks amazing, football teams have those uh, the, the intangibles about the, the team chemistry, those sort of things can can take mm. teams up to half a season. So that's more. real. Well, I think it. I think it is. Um, so I'm, I'm watching that with intrigue. But I think Jack Watts is is ready to ready to become the player we thought he could be. Where have you got Port? Where Where do you put him in your? I've I've got them just out. Out of the eight. I've got them just out on the back. I Ooh. think because of okay. this, because of the influx. Right. I'm just I'm intrigued about the chemistry of it. Okay. Jared. Gold Coast squeezed them out. The, oh, that's <laughs> right. the free agency <laughs> list was published during the week. There are a couple of takeaways. One is by the time you become an unrestricted free agent, there is very little value associated to a lot of players simply because of age. Um, they're in the veteran stage. So the restricted free agency list is where it's at. It does, I'm sure we'll get to a point where free agency is free agency. And I think this list sort of emphasizes that. In the list that was published, Nick Del Santo, who yes. are your three targets? My three targets. If I'm starting a football club or I'm anyone in Melbourne building a footy club, Tom Mitchell. I don't go past him for obvious reasons. You can build a list around him. He's that prominent. He's only 25, so you give him another six, seven, eight years of solid football. Number two, I'd go after Rory Sloan. Hang on, hang on. Tom Lynch. 
Tom Lynch. Yeah, Tom Lynch. Yeah. Yep. So that was Tom Lynch number one. Number two, this is in order. Rory Sloan. He's twenty eight. But I'd still give him four to five years of solid football as well. And from what we've seen from Rory Sloan, if you're looking at getting him, I think you need a semi established midfield already. Otherwise the focus is solely on him and other players may benefit from him being there, but I think his best footy is to have multiple players that are really solid in that area. And my last one is Tom McDonald. And I had a few question marks why I went for this one, but I've put it down to his versatility. He's 25, so he's still got a lot of good football in front of him. He's played at a football club that has um, struggled for success for a long period of time. I think he would flourish at another footy club, even though I know the Ds are, are, uh, are improving. But if I was at a different club, that is why I'd try and get him. You can put him forward. You can put him back. You can play in the ruck if you need him to. I think his versatility would be fantastic. So Lynch, Sloan, Tom McDonald. Yes. Bob, who are your three? I'm going to leave out Tom Mitchell, and I've I've also got Tom Lynch. Did I say Tom Mitchell? Sorry, I read. Is that why you looked at me? I did read that off the SMS before from the. Uh, how was Tom Mitchell not in your top five? Sorry, <laughs> apologies. That was just a cheap little gag no, for me there, Dale. That's good. what you Take can him. expect for this year. Take Tom, him. Tommy. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. I've got Tom Lynch at a clear one. I think he's at at his age and his stature. I think he's kind of the ultimate um, free agent prospect. Rory Sloan at number two um, offers just about everything you'd want in a midfielder with a magnificent mane of blonde hair that would, would all of a sudden boost your membership. Uh, at number three, number three, I've got I've got Jeremy McGovern. I think um, marking defenders, uh, intercept marking defenders are, are gold these days, almost to rival key forwards in the form of guys like Lynch. But I've got uh, Jeremy McGovern as a as a number three. But there's a pretty big gap between Lynch, Sloan, and then and then McGovern. Who do we feel is most likely to go with any of those players? I think Tom Lynch is most likely to go unless Gold Coast can give him a true reason to stay. And then, you know, Gary Lyon said last, if you're reading the tea leaves, you, you're sort of going, well, I think Sloan might leave. We'll see yeah. how that pans out. It feels that way, doesn't it? But there's still a long way to go. Yeah, that one. but maybe, yeah, maybe that's mm. us extrapolating. The AFL has announced Missy Higgins won't perform at the pre-game of the AFLW Grand Final due to the weather. What? She took the cues from um, Meatloaf. Missy. Who, who played on in the rain and regretted it. <laughs> Wolsey bagged we him. Just did. put, the long, put yeah. the long stops on Missy. Yeah. And there you go. She's missing out. This is a very, uh, very slight chance. She perf- There's a very, very slight chance she performs at halftime. Oh, wow. Dave Grohl played. He did a tour with a broken leg. He got out there on the wheelchair. Missy. Still haven't heard any news on the toss down at Frankston either with uh, Derm's <laughs> cricket team, so we're still waiting for that. Apparently spades are trumps. That's a, for, for Dermot's cricket side in the Euchre battle in the sheds. All right, very, very good. All right, we'll take a short break. It's 10 past 12. We've got more on the crunch coming up. We're going to get across to the Icon Park too when Nicole Livingston will join us in the box. It's been a big week in more ways than one in the AFLW. It culminates, of course, in the grand final between the Lions and the Dogs. This is crunch time for Honda. The 2017 run out is now on. On 11.16 SEM, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's 2017 runout. Quarter past 12. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Shortly, the head of the AFLW, Nicole Livingston, joins us from a damp commentary position at Icon Park ahead of uh, the AFLW. Bob Murphy, Nick Del Santo, Jared Waitley and Anthony Hudson with you. Bob, what is the hardest match to pick from here on in? Um, 
Well, with the heart, I've copped. A, I've already got a bit of feedback. I tipped. I tipped the Giants over the dollar. That one. I sort you of tipped all, the Giants. I, I wrestled with that one round for one about, for about four Gee. months. For about four months, but I think you're harsh. I, 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 you're I, ruthless, I, aren't you? The one. The one I'm trying to get a read on is ruthless Ma- Murphy, Ma- Melbourne and the Cats. Melbourne and the Cats. I'm, I, I think is a is a is a tough one to call at the moment. Who have you got in that one? Um, it, that was a very tough one, and I, I I tipped Melbourne during the week to win the flag, so but and I had I had to do my big call. My big call was Melbourne will win eight of the first nine games. This is before I knew Viney was going to be yes. out for eight weeks, uh, and but I just let that little bit of wriggle room because they could still win eight of the first nine and still lose to Geelong <laughs> in round one. I think I think Melbourne will win. I actually do think Ruthless Melbourne will win. I hope Jess. I hope desperately I'm wrong. You turn coat, but I actually think Melbourne will win that match. But uh, I look at the Geelong team, and um, it, you know, there's some some young players in there, and um, I, I think there's there'll be a little settling to go. And and just looking at the Geelong team without Dangerfield, it looks very different. How even you, though Ablett's in, how are you feeling over there, Jared, about the about the Cats on oh, Sunday? See, I don't even contemplate not tipping Geelong. It's just a default position. But what I am <laughs> feeling about Sunday, so we're taking the kids and. It's a big moment. As Nick and I were just talking about, what's the parallel in AFL? I reckon the Abbott story has been peculiarly undersold. Is this is a bit of LeBron? Um, and we were t- Trent Crowe was placed on loan for a little while to Fremantle and then hauled back to Hawthorne. Yep, I think, and you're right, Joe. There was so much speculation when he was at the Gold Coast. Is he going to come home? Then it happened, and it sort of has gone under the radar. The reason I think why is. The, the influence and the impact that Dangerfield and Sal would have on that football club already. But Gaz is sneaking under the radar here. We haven't spoken about his inclusion. We've been speaking about Dangerfield's out. You, you touch on LeBron. We're just having a quick chat about, in the football circles, other players that have left the club for whatever, left or moved on, traded, but then they've come back. I had We had Trent Crowe. We had Chris Tarrant. But outside Paul Salmon. Of, Paul, very good. Paul Salmon. But... It's going to be an amazing and fascinating, not only game tomorrow, um, Jared and, and Hutto for the Geelong supporters, but also a year about the way that this all plays out. And still the amount of questions that we have around Geelong, hopefully some of them will start to get answered tomorrow. Which game for you, Dal, for the rest of the weekend? I'm really excited about the Western Bulldogs and the Giants. And um, surprised that Bob's turned his back already. He was only six <laughs> months ago was fully invested. Now he's checked out, no dramas. <laughs> <laughs> but the recent history, and it has to be recent history because of the Giants' um, time in the league, but they've already built this rivalry that myself, with no attachment to either club, I love watching it. I, I want to see how this plays out. I want to see a bit of spite or a bit of feeling in it from round one. I'm tipping the Giants, but with no confidence because I liked what the Dogs did during the JLT. And you speak about a premiership hangover. Well, I'd like to think that they're sober again. I think they can have a really good year. Just on, you talk about no confidence, and I feel exactly the same about most of the selections this weekend. Which which teams, as we just sit around and chat here, which teams have we got the most confidence in? I mean, I would have said Sydney last year, and they lost the first six games. I've still got confidence this year that they'll be yeah, up I've, there. I've got Sydney. I, I, I've got Sydney and and Geelong as my right, okay. who I have as I think I think in the stretch Geelong have just got too much. Too much top end talent and the the, the home ground advantage. A lot of games but at home, yeah. Sydney the same that they'll that they'll just they'll win enough games to be thereabouts. But but after that, the the confidence is it's not as not as strong. Because even the Giants, who I'm still reasonably confident about, you know, they've, they've obviously lost that 
edge off half back with uh, the two boys out and another couple of players injured, but there's still a lot of top talent in there. It's interesting with the Giants. I felt like the general temperature after the after last year's final series that there was a bit of a a feeling of that might be that might be a turning point for the Giants and that, that their window might be starting to shut. But then it it got revived about six weeks ago and now it's it's back on full throttle again. What about you, Jared? I've got no doubt about Richmond. And I didn't expect to feel like that coming in. But as soon as I saw them present in the JLT, and then I actually really liked what they did on Thursday night, as you don't want to be at the peak of your powers at this stage. And they just worked their way through and they stretched Carlton out and then they ultimately broke them. I just think so much of Richmond makes sense. Their demographic makes sense. Their top end makes sense and then the players that you're looking for is you watch butler on thursday night and you go oh yeah he's he's already showed how much he's improved so he was a a pivotal contributor in his own way last year but he's getting better and better and i think that's going to be true for a dozen of them well maybe how would they cope how would they cope with an injury or two to their key players which they didn't really so they got 99 out of 100 games out of their big four last year so you wouldn't want to lose one of them for the whole year. You wouldn't want to be losing two at a time. So I I, I do concede that. But I don't think this year there's many teams who could afford to lose two no. of their best four. But if things... Who would be the most crucial for the tie? Who would be the one that they could least afford to Rance. lose for an extended... Really? Yeah, I think I'd, yeah, I'm yeah, I think I'd have had Rance too. Would well, you have yeah, confidence, feel... Jared, with where the Tigers are at? We speak about depth and how they've gone from maybe two years ago about being the top five had to play well for them to potentially get over the line to this balance that you might actually feel more calm about Richmond if they did get one of these injuries to their big yeah. boys. I think they could cover... You wouldn't want to lose both Cochin and Martin at the same time, yeah. but I think they could cover in the midfield on system. I think they could cover Jack up forward on system. I just think Revolt does... Ev- uh, Rance does everything to hold them together. Hutto, we're able to yeah. go to a wet AFLW grand final. We are. Nicole Livingston, uh, head of the AFLW. Good afternoon to you. Hutto, you know I'm okay in wet conditions from my sporting <laughs> yeah. background. Did I you just swim backwards the... Up, the, up to the box or no, not? Well, I was going to say, we're trying to get people to watch the AFLW, so I just won't pull out my togs, cozies or bathers, whatever <laughs> the people call it, that are listening out there. So it is wet, It's though. been a big week. Can you, can you tell us the, the, what the atmosphere is like given the weather out there? Look, um, clearly it is a building crowd. People saw that it was uh, raining, so I think there'll be a stream of people coming in uh, as close to 12.35 as possible. But for those areas that are undercover, there are certainly plenty of people there. We were hoping to get to close to 20, 21,500, 22,000 today. I'm not sure we'll quite get there, but um, the people that are here are committed and they will see a fantastic grand final of the AFLW. Are you disappointed of the distractions of the week? I can't control them, Hutto. Uh, and from uh, my sporting background and also administration backdra- background, I uh, don't spend too much time thinking about things that I absolutely cannot control. And in this case, um, the tribunal and all of that side of things is completely separate to my role at the AFL. And then uh, whatever continues to go forward from Katie and the Western Bulldogs uh, in this space will be separate to me as well. What did you learn from it, Nicole? Um, Well, we're always going to be reviewing everything that we do in season number two, so we'll continue to do that. Match review process will also be uh, something that we review. So I've learnt lots of things uh, about AFL and AFLW in my very short period of time, which has been four months. The biggest thing that I've learnt is that a couple of things. We have a very passionate group of people involved in not only footy but women's footy, uh, and um, I can't make everybody happy. Yeah, from the best (laughs) intentions, Nicole, did, did it identify a floor 
in a system? Uh, in, in terms of the tribunal? In terms of the, the structure of the, the table and the offences and the outcomes? Oh, look, uh, you know, it's identified as a flaw when it, potentially when it comes up as a flaw. So, um, you know, a gift of hindsight, you know, perhaps it's something that we could have thought about, but we didn't know what we didn't know. So, uh, again, I'll stay out of it. But, um, you know, I think our season of only seven weeks changes uh, the way that we need to look at things. Um, of course, we've got season number three that we still need to determine length and, and um, the way that, that that fixture and structure will be. But uh, it's still a very short season. So we also need to take that into consideration as well. What happens on Monday at, at the at the gathering in the aftermath where are you aligned with Steve Hocking that it's time to make the AFLW its absolute own and separate competition? So we were always planning to meet with a group of the players organised through the Players Association. We're also equally meeting with footy ops on Tuesday and then the coaches uh, we're meeting with on Tuesday afternoon. So those were always in plan. Uh, I think it is time for us to look with a female lens across everything that we do if we are looking at charter or laws of the game um, you know it does have very much a masculine lens even right down to language so uh, I think that's probably something that we do need to, to, to be discussing because we do need to have some ownership in our own right about women's football on behalf of women on, on behalf of female football players so I think that is particularly important for us to be looking at um, you know how we shape the game we'll take the players on the journey so too the clubs it's really important for us to be collaborative in this very young part of our history. We're just about out of time, but when do you think the AFLW Grand Final should be played? Uh, in good weather, Hutto. <laughs> <laughs> last week Look, in the future. Yeah, I know you're running out of time. Lots of people talk about last week. If we had have gone last week, it meant we would have had to start in, in Australian Open time. Uh, we need to get off to a good start with AFLW, and we need to find that clear window. That clear window at the moment presents Monday, 3 p.m. after the Australian Open. So they were the things that we were looking at as well. Nicole, we are, as we said, uh, short of time. The match is not far away. Get down and watch the footy for everyone of you nearby, as we always used to say in the country. Wet, bit of wet weather won't hurt. Uh, a dramatic opening, uh, opening season for you, Nick. Good luck for today and for the future. Hey, Hutto, next time I see you at a function, sit with me. Don't just give me a, a side swipe and have a little crack at me for being Nigel No Mates. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call I'll take that, that one on out. board. Thanks, Nicole. <laughs> okay, see ya. I'll give you a whack next time. Uh, Nicole Livingston, the head of AFLW. Uh, because of the AFLW final, we're a little bit shorter of time today. Bob, big afternoon today. Port and Freo, you're tipping? Can't wait. Port. Jared. Port. Thanks for being with us again. Good on you. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.